Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, a.k.a. entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs Podcast. This is Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. What's up, Julie? Living the dream with my coffee, I guess. Well, it is a... And a cough drop. It is Thursday. I bet that's a good combination. What kind of, what flavor you got there? (laughs) Cherry honey. Cherry honey and coffee. I'm unsure if that goes well together or not, but we'll see. The mocha in that should blend really well. Well, we've got a great uh, guest today. And without further ado, we'll just jump into this. It's uh, Nikki Rausch is some kind of special. Nikki loves empowering entrepreneurs with an emphasis on women-owned businesses. This entrepreneur wants to transform the night terrors that entrepreneurs have knowing they have to do sales into a positive experience, identifying your authentic self to help you sell your products and services. This is a skill set that many of an, many an entrepreneur should delve into. She is the founder and CEO of Sales Haven Maven, a company that one can engage to help them be more authentic in their sales process, which in common speak means entrepreneurs should feel confident and passionate about the products and services they sell, and in her words, not feel icky. Um, and Nikki is also an author, speaker, and a podcaster. Thanks, Nikki, for being on a show. Thanks for having me. So, Nikki, I want you to know you you guys sent this nice um, like guest bio over, and we so appreciate that. But the stalker in him couldn't use it. He had to go out on his own and see what he could, you know, find on you. So, you know, bear with us if we missed anything. I was no, I I thought it was great. I love when somebody writes a different bio for me because you know it's interesting to hear what what's what stands out. Well, it's funny. I you know I couldn't get the password thing to work. I couldn't figure it out. Again, I'm very tech savvy, as you can tell, but I couldn't get the work. So I just said, you know what? I'm going straight to the dark web and I'm going to find everything I can know about Nikki. So I got all kinds of goodies here. Um, Perfect. I can't wait to like hit me with it. Let's it's see the what best. You got. Well, the first You don't thing, even know what's out there on you. No, no I'm just kidding. I have no idea. It's impressive. I'll tell you, it's impressive. Uh, so what we always like to do is to try to figure out a little bit about, you know, where you came from, what's going on. And, and near as I can tell, at some point in time, you might be in Boise, you might be in the state of Washington. I'm guessing they're the straight, straights of Juan de Fuca, but I'm not quite sure. And, <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out where, where you grew up, where you're from. I grew up in Boise, Idaho. I lived in the Seattle area for 27 years, and I am back in Boise and have been for the last three years. Wow. So the question on the table is, obviously, you went to you went to uh, Washington State. You're a a Husky. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's a better mascot, a Husky or a Buckeye? Because we're from Ohio State. Do you know? Mm. That's a toughie. I know. Yeah, I feel like. I can't really argue with your alma mater. Like, I'm not going to get into that with you because uh, how could I say mine's better, right? Like, well, we we have a po- although, yeah, we have a poisonous nut, and you've got a cute little puppy dog. So I'm guessing yeah, we yours have is a probably, cute puppy. Yes, that's yeah, great. It's true. It's true. So <laughs> in in Boise, Idaho, I mean, what made you? You know, what kind of upbringing did you have? Did you at work when you were a kid? Were you? Uh, did you just mm-hmm. go play sports? What did you do growing up? No, growing up, I uh, I worked most of my <laughs> most of my life. I also danced on the dance team. I actually got a scholarship to Boise State for the dance team and uh, did that for a couple of years before I transferred to UW. And um, yeah, I had the kind of childhood where didn't come from. Uh, <laughs> we joke in my family. We 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 talk about being white trash. Like I grew up pretty poor. And um, always have worked since, I think I've had a job since I was 14. I don't think there's been a time when I, maybe maybe a couple months in a transition, but for the most part, I've worked since I was 14 years old. That's what it's all about, right? Because if, if you mm-hmm. don't uh, learn how to self-sufficient yourself, then what are you going to do? You're going to depend on somebody else and not be your best. So that's never going to work. But, you know, 
I love I love White Trash. I grew up just the same way. It was it was I, my first job was at nine, so I I know exactly what okay. you're talking about. It, it's one of those things. Now we're, you know, when you had, were these just regular jobs like working for somebody, or did you have your own little side hustle as an entrepreneur? I really didn't have any side hustles. It was always working for somebody else. My my grandfather and my dad owned a tool store. So honestly, I started working there when I was 10. I, I got to learn how to like make change at the cash register and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then at 14, I worked at a dental office. And um, by 17, I was uh, working for a pizza company. And I was also the the activities coordinator for the drill team, which meant I was in jo- I was in charge of all the fundraising and helping all the girls raise money so that they could take the trips and pay for their, you know, outfits and all, all of that kind of stuff. And so that was really, I'm going to say that was the first time that I really understood the power of money and raising money and what money could do because I worked so much that, um, I had so much in my account, like you didn't actually get to keep the money like that you earned in that particular position. It went into the organization, but it got to pay for, you know, towards your trips and things like that. And I worked so much that I paid for like three other girls trips that couldn't afford, you know, their parents couldn't afford to pay for them to do stuff. My parents certainly couldn't afford to pay for me to do stuff. So that was the like kind of journey. And then when I moved to Washington state, one of my first jobs there was, uh, it was my first commissioned sales job. And that's when I got the bug for sales because I was making minimum wage. This was a while ago. So minimum wage at the time was like four twenty-five an hour or something. Solid. And I could usually double and triple my income in my, you know, four to five hour shift just because I could sell enough that once you sold a certain amount, you started making commission. And I just got the bug for like, I like to be able to control my income and sales was a way to do it. And then my whole career has been based on that. When you were, um, when you went to school and you got a bachelor's in business, what was your major in? I'm going to accounting, something fun like that? No, no, no. Dang it. it really was business administration and the focus, okay. um, the, the program actually that I was in, that I graduated from, I, I, we, it was a very small group of us. It was a special program that they had just started for working students. And um, I think we were the only graduates of the program. It wow. lasted three years and then they discontinued it uh, because I don't think they had enough people wanting to do it. So um, it was really heavily focused on business. And actually it was from a college project that I got my first professional job And that's what started my career in the tech space was had a college project where we had to go out into a company and like make connections there. We had to have not know anybody at the company. So we had to build rapport. We had to um, essentially convince them to let us come in and interview somebody in every single department. And then we had to put together this huge, like our whole grade was this one presentation (laughs) and the company that I ended up going and we did this kind of whole study around their business and how they did business um, ended up eventually hiring me. And that was my, my first like truly professional sales position. And I worked my way up in that company. I started at a very entry level dialing for dollar sales rep and became their national sales manager. So so it can work for college projects. It's isn't it funny? It's, it's not uh, who you know; it's who knows you, and you make those connections, and they <laughs> they they set you up. So you were one of those people that worked all the way through college and went to school at the same time. It sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at that time, you weren't really thinking you wanted to go to school, learn something, and go to work for somewhere. You really weren't thinking you wanted to hang out your shingle and do your own thing. Correct. Yeah, I really didn't have aspirations to be an entrepreneur. I think because I saw my my grandfather and my dad have this tool store and they worked so hard and they really didn't make any money. And, you know, we were always struggling. My dad was always struggling, you know, okay, it's the end of the week. We can't go grocery shopping. We don't have money for groceries. And and so to me, it just felt like a really hard life. And I liked making money and I liked being able to control that. And so my, I really fell into my entrepreneurial journey. I was kind of 
at a place in my life where I was ready to do something different. I was feeling like maybe there was something more out there for me, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I was helping to grow somebody else's business and somebody who I was kind of helping on the side grow her business pulled me aside and said like, why aren't you teaching people how to sell? Like what you teach, it works and it's it's so helpful. And I And I was like, I don't think people will pay me to learn how to sell. And she's like, no, I, I really think people will pay you, Nikki. And uh, at the time I was actually interviewing for another sales position and I was in the final, like down to the final three people they were interviewing and it was a long interview process. And she said, if you don't get this job, will you just try it? Will you just try to start a business and see and just teach people selling skills? And I was so confident that I was going to get the job that I was like, okay, I'll make that deal with you. And then I didn't get the job. So my business was really born out of that. Fell right into it. So do you think growing up, you know, your upbringing and how hard you've worked and just all of those factors, who do you think was an instrumental mentor into where you are today? Mm, I've had a lot of mentors in my life and I'm really, um, mentorship to me is such a primary and i learned this at a very young age i didn't have a happy childhood and it wasn't a particularly easy um childhood and so my first ever mentor was my grandfather he was the first person that ever took any kind of interest in me and and recognized that maybe there was something about me that was different than all the other kids around and so he really kind of instilled in me that i was smart that I could do things that other people couldn't do. So he was my first mentor. And then I had this incredible mentor in high school. And then, you know, in my sales career, I had some really incredible mentors, but one in particular who, again, kind of singled me out. And I think it was because I asked a lot of questions. And not only did I ask questions, but I was a good listener. And I was I was so interested in what this person had to say and I was willing to incorporate the things that he was sharing with me and I was having success with it. And so for 20 years, I had this incredible sales mentor. He, he has passed, and um, but he made this huge impact on my sales career. And so every time I was thinking about changing jobs or if I was going to apply for some new position within the company I was working, he was always my first call because I always wanted to know. And he gave me all that time and attention. You know, he was willing to talk things through with me. So mentorship for me has been absolutely, I would not be here where I am today without my mentors. And I always say that, you know, the saying, like we stand on the shoulders of giants. I have stood on the shoulders of some incredible giants. So tell me a little bit more about the person who made that deal with you though, that if you didn't get the job, you had to go out on your own because they, that had to be a huge impact and take you, you know, you maybe wouldn't be where you are today without that deal. Yeah, that's true. I actually dedicated my first book to her. Uh, her name is Lisa. And she she was somebody who we were commuting together to like networking events as she was growing her business. And so in the Seattle area, you know, traffic is horrendous. So your commute time it's like sometimes, you know, you're in the car for two hours each way together and we would sit in the car and she would just ask me questions and I would just give her, you know, off the cuff answers around sales, around growing a team, around motivating her team. And, and she, she was working for a company that she would go back and she would implement these things and her sales were growing so much that the CEO of her company called her and asked her what changed. Like something's different. Like your sales have really grown. You've brought on these new, you know, team members. And she said, oh, I'm working with a sales coach. But I wasn't a sales coach. I was just me in my car giving her answers. And so she she kind of facilitated some things. She facilitated a meeting with their director of sales. They ended up hiring me to speak at their national sales convention as their keynote speaker. And again, my business was just kind of born out of these connections and these people who were encouraging me. So how did you go be a, uh, a all of a sudden you're a keynote speaker that quick? Like, I mean, that had to be a little bit, you know, most people are terrified about public speaking and sales and this. And here you are just like, yeah, I got that. How, how did that happen? How did you have that confidence to just say, you know, whatever, I'm just going to go do this thing? 
Well, there were a couple things that happened prior to that. So the position that I was in, the the industry that I came from, the tech space, one of the things when I went to the, at some point I went, like worked my way up to what the, the manufacturer level. So I was working for Hitachi America, one of the largest companies in the world. And I was their top producer in North America in the, um, in the division that I was in. And, um, so I was doing a lot of presentations. So my job, a lot of times I was giving, you know, five presentations sometimes in a day, like multiple times a week. So sit, like sitting down with people became very easy, but also standing in front of a room. I was just, it was that repetition, like building that muscle memory. So I had done that. And then also while I was working for Hitachi is when I got introduced to neuro-linguistic programming. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's essentially the study of communication. And I dug in deep with with NLP training. I went through two years um, of NLP training, like, and this was something I paid for on my own. My company didn't pay for this, but one week in the month for two years, I would get on a plane and go spend two days studying NLP and um, became, you know, a practitioner and then became a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. And then I started assisting when I wasn't traveling um, I because I was a traveling sales rep. So I would travel all week and then be home on the weekends. And I started assisting my NLP teacher who had since moved up to Washington state on the weekends. So I was using all these skill sets that I had. I, I had learned to present really well I had learned um, neuro-linguistic programming, which is, you know, again, if you haven't heard that term before, it's really the neuro part is how we process information in our brains. Linguistics is language. And the programming part is about habits and patterns. And so when you can learn how to adjust your style to put people at ease, when you can learn how to choose your words in a way that will have the biggest impact and the most, most influence, things get easier in a, in a conversation. So when I started my business, it was, I was able to just combine my sales experience and all my presentation experience with my background in neuro-linguistic programming. And I was really, again, just really blessed and lucky that this person recognized in something in me and that her company was willing to give me this chance. They asked me to come and speak. And let's be honest, like I was in the very beginning stages of my business. What they paid me was next to nothing <laughs> to do it. So, you know, they got a bargain and and their their people were, they had never heard anybody talk about sales like I talked about sales and they were really excited and my style really resonated with them. And so my business, again, just kind of continued to just grow from there. It's, it's weird that you tell that story because what I found on the web was that when you were working at Yamaha, you were uh, a leader of one of the street bike gangs, and uh, that's where you learned all your leadership skills from and how to sales to bring people to join the club. So that's just odd that you went that direction, but hey, that's okay. Um, you can't yeah. believe everything you read. <laughs> now Yamaha's going to be like, what? <laughs> so at what point were you like, okay, I am ready to jump into this sales thing and leave, you know, what you had been doing almost your entire life. It it really kind of, you know, it's it's like you have those moments in life where something changes and sometimes it comes out of the blue. And for me it did. I was uh in the tech space, one of the things that in, when you work in technology, you do a lot of trade shows. And I counted one year. I did 120 trade shows in one year. In one is, year? Jeez. In one year. It's like uh, insane. Maybe it was 100. It was 100 trade shows in a year. So that, I mean, that's just, it's like you're just always at trade shows. And after doing that for so many years, I remember one Saturday morning setting up, I was in San Jose, California, and I was setting up for yet again, another, you know, one day trade show. And we were in this huge room, this huge like auditorium. And I remember looking around and I was like going like booth to booth to booth to booth. And I realized in that moment that I actually knew somebody in every single vendor booth. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm about to turn 40. I know somebody at every single booth. Do I want to be standing here talking to these same people on a Saturday morning when I turn 50? And the answer was, 
no. <laughs> Not that I had anything against those people. They're all lo lovely, wonderful people, but it just felt like my world felt very, very small in that moment. And it just, it felt like there was something missing. And I didn't really know what it was. I just knew something was missing. I wasn't particularly happy at the company that I was working for. And I just thought, there, something's got to change. There has to be something more out there for me. And I had no idea what it was. And I ended up leaving my company with really no safety nets. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew I needed to do something else. And that was when I started interviewing for this other position. And it was a different industry, another sales position. But at the same time, I was helping to grow somebody else's business on the side, which was my NLP teacher. And that's when I started hanging out with entrepreneurs is I was helping to grow her business. So I was attending networking meetings and when I would go to these networking meetings and I was meeting these super cool, like incredibly passionate people. And I recognized that what was missing in me was what all these people had, which was passion. They were super passionate about what they were doing, their intention and their the impact they wanted to make in the world. And I just felt empty inside, honestly. And I just thought maybe I could like, I, I was always like, maybe I could like rub up against these people and some of that passion would like rub off on me. And so I didn't really know where I was going with it. I just knew I wanted to be around people that were really passionate. And, and again, it was just from attending these networking meetings, getting to know these different people, this one woman who we, it made sense for us to commute together to these networking events and for her to start to recognize that I had some skill set that I didn't really think people would pay money for, which was selling and doing in a way that made it really easy. And, you know, she just kept encouraging and like asking questions. And I always have answers. If you ask me a sales question, I have an answer. And I usually have something that's easy for somebody to implement or easy for somebody to say or do. And, um, and for somebody to recognize, like, people will pay you money for this. And I thought, well, we'll see. And what I realized is that I get to now hang out with the coolest entrepreneurs. I get to spend time around really passionate people. And I get to share something that does make an impact and does make a difference in people's businesses and in their lives. And that feels like a calling to me. You know, it's, um, I try to piece together these dots and this, I mean, so here you are growing up and you're like, dad's an entrepreneur, grandpa's an entrepreneur, but they're really just small business owners and they're working hard and they're really there to help people. They really weren't there to make money because they just didn't know how to put that together. And that's no disrespect to them. They just didn't put it together, right? They just thought they had to do this thing this way. They had no knowledge because they didn't go anywhere. So then you decide, well, I don't want that. So I'm going to go get educated. I'm going to go work for somebody. And then all of a sudden you have that aha moment where I'm out. And then on a chance, whatever, you rub shoulders with people that have taken what your dad and grandpa probably wanted to do at some level, probably a little bit higher and above, and you saw these people doing it, and you're like, oh, my God, that's it, and there it is. Like, in that, you went, you ran from it, and then you stumbled back in, and then you're all in and doubled down on top of it. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. And nobody's ever said that to me. So I feel really touched by the way you just framed that. Thank you. You're, yeah. It's just, and that's the thing, all entrepreneurs listening out there, like you just never know an opportunity is going to knock. You don't know where it's coming from. And so the answer is always be curious, keep options open, always meet people, don't stay in your own space and just try to meet as many people as you can because you just never know. Well, we want you to stay in your own lane. Wow, well, that's really hard <laughs> for me. I'm, I'm all over the place, but uh, that, that's, that's how I got to roll, right? Uh, can't put me in a lane changer thing. So I'm curious personally, and I'm sure our listeners are too. So you go and you speak at this sales conference. You've kind of committed to making this change in your life to doing something completely different. You have basically this mentor who's given you this opportunity to kind of take your business and run with it, what happens next? Well, now it's a lot of trial and error. So again, <laughs> one of the things that I recognized really quickly is that I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. So I hired a coach. Like I am I am somebody who always will invest in myself. I know that when I invest in myself, I get a return. So I hired a coach 
who had made some suggestions about, okay, Nikki, you need to have some offers. You need to, you know, he had suggested that I put together a course. So I spent some time and I put together a course. I continued to network, continued to offer people opportunities to just get like a really, you know, at the time I was offering strategy sessions when I first started and the price that I was offering them at was, you know, laughable because you, I would have never, ever stayed in business, you know, selling, selling them for the price that I was selling them for. Like there's no way it wasn't sustainable, but it, it allowed for me to start to build that know, like, and trust. And I always will also say, yeah, I say yes to just about anything. If somebody asks me to do something, and especially if I've never done it before, I will say yes to it. <laughs> Not like, oh yeah, I'm an expert at it, but I'll be really candid. Like I haven't, you know, I haven't done this before, but I'm willing to try if it's something you want me to do. And that was when, so I started getting asked to speak and I, and I started this having this class. So people started signing up for the class. I was doing these strategy sessions, worked with that coach for a while, found that, you know, I kind of got everything I could out of that coach and then, you know, took a break and then moved on to the next coach that pushed me to do the next thing, which was to implement some VIP, um, you know, like high ticket offers into my business. And that was a big game changer. And one of the other things that she had said to me, um, it, during our VIP day, she looked at everything that I had created in the last, I think it was about two years into my business. And she said, you have too much content. You're not allowed to create content for the next year. You need to repurpose everything that you've already created. And I remember <laughs> I, it was in, uh, I, her, our VIP day was in Portland. And so I had a three hour drive home that night at the end of our VIP day. I couldn't even listen to the radio. I was so stunned that I just drove home in silence thinking this, this could sink my business, but I hired her. She, this is the advice that she's giving. I need to try to figure it out. And it was one of the best lessons because I learned how to repurpose content and turn it into other offers, turn it into other ways to, you know, build influence out in the marketplace and, um, and put together these VIP offers. And I remember, you know, that the first time I talked about the VIP offer, I had three people sign up and I was like, and this was the most amount of money that anybody had paid me at that point in my business. And I felt this huge responsibility to really deliver. And from those VIPs, I, I, people just kept saying yes. And so the price just kept going up and people kept saying yes. And the price kept going up. But what it did is it helped me take all this content and put it in more of a context. And from that, I created what's now my signature framework around a sales conversation. It's called The Selling Staircase. I wrote my third book around it. And so I started teaching this step-by-step -step approach to a sales conversation, but it all came from having created all this like random content and then not being able to create any more content, work with VIPs, from there, figure out what was the thing that they most needed and then just continue to hone the message and hone the, the offers and the business has continued to grow from there. So I think one of the things you, you, you had two things that we normally talk about. And the, the first one is that as an entrepreneur, you can't be intimidated by having to pivot and do something different. You didn't fail. You didn't, it didn't work. You just, you were like, Oh, I got to do something different. And not only did you pivot, but you kind of had to embrace it, right? And and that embracing of something is very uncomfortable. And that gets back to the whole, the fear, like, oh my gosh, what is my biggest fear that I have to overcome? What do you think was your biggest fear? Was it initially getting, I must speak in front of people, going on your own, re, no content for a year? I mean, a creative person to say, shut down the creative juices is a really hard thing to do, right? You're like, well, that's what I do. I have new ideas every day. What was the biggest fear you think you had to overcome? Just being really candid, I think my biggest fear was that I didn't think that anything I had to say was unique, you know? And so beca because that was unique, like, I just felt like it's all been said, it's all been done. What could I possibly bring to this that people can't find somewhere else? And this, this like, the thing that really was a transition for me was 
in sales, I, so I put together a talk because I started getting asked to, you know, to give these talks at networking events. And, and again, I said yes to everything. Like I remember giving talks at a Mexican restaurant where, you know, they're trying to serve the dishes and they're like, who had the enchilada while I'm up there speaking, you know, they're yelling over me and, you know, speaking at a place where they had the music blaring so loud that people couldn't hear me. Like I've spoke everywhere and said yes to everything just to kind of hone the message. But while I was speaking, one of the things I started talking about was buying signals and that people have buying signals. They give you buying signals and what you're supposed to do when you get a buying signal. And I remember people started like, I felt really intimidated about even talking about buying signals because I thought people would go like, yeah, duh, everybody knows that, Nikki. That seems really dumb. I remember the first time I crafted the talk before I gave it, I was in tears actually before I had to get up on the stage because I just thought people were going to laugh me off the stage. I thought they were going to go, who is this person? She's such a fraud. She's not saying anything unique. And it's just the same old, you know, regurgitated garbage about sales. Well, buying signals took off. People were like, what? There's buying signals that people give? What are you talking about, Nikki? And what should I say? What should I do? And I started giving these really specific examples about like, here's a particular buying signal. When somebody asks you about your price, you don't just give your price. You give your price, you issue an invitation and giving really concrete examples and language around it. And people were blown away by this this idea of buying signals. Now, I don't think that was particularly a unique message, but it was the way I was delivering it. And it was to an audience that were like, I've never heard anybody tell me about this before. I didn't know. I was missing sales. I was walking away from business all the time until I started talking about it. And that was a that was a transition. That was probably my biggest fear was that I had nothing to say that was unique. And then when I just started getting out and talking about the things that I knew worked, people would give me feedback about what were the things that they were the most like shocked about or the most surprised or the most like, what? <laughs> like this is, I didn't even know this when it came to sales. And and I, I will say, because I'm naturally curious, I'm always interested in what are the things that light people up. And then I'm going to double down on that. That's going to be the thing that I talk about the most. That's going to be the thing that I focus on. So the second book that I wrote is just about buying signals. Like I wrote it thinking like, if people don't know about this, I'm just going to put it into a book form. They can buy it for $10 and learn it. They don't even have to have me come speak. They don't have to take a class from me. They can just learn buying signals and it will change their business. And so I think it's really about being willing to say things that you think people might laugh laugh at you for. Well, I think that's probably the, the thing is that um, never assume that people know what you're going to talk about because yeah. the, the, the information flow, the generational thing, the group of people, it's all different, right? So you stay to yourself and that's, you know, Julia likes asking the question about the superpowers. You want to hit her mm-hmm. with that? Because I, I think we know what it is, but let's ask. Yeah. So what is your superpower? Well, I'm going to say in my business, the thing that I've learned truly is my superpower is my ability to um, say things in a way and frame language in a way that lands softly to the other person that makes them more inclined to want to engage. And again, I didn't know this. I didn't know I had the superpower until I started offering clients feedback on the way they were communicating with their clients. And I was like, oh no, if you send that message, that's not going to land the way you think it is. Let me look at it. Let me tweak it for you. Let's change this sentence. Let's get rid of all these I statements. Let's do these little tweaks to your message. And my clients often come back and they're like, Nikki, they responded right away. They said yes. They And, and it's like, yeah. So I'm going to say my superpower is being able to make adjustments to language so that it lands softly to the other person and they're more inclined to want to engage. I'd say it's probably that um, you never give up either. Um, I'd have to say <laughs> that, you know, you just, even though you had all those self doubts that who's going to want this, or everybody's doing it. You still knew you had something right. And you just, I don't know if it was in your gut, your heart, your brain. I don't know what it was, but you still had this thing. Like I just know I'm onto something. And ultimately it's just you, it's your, is your shtick, right? It's just who you are. 
And then once you figured out that you're never going to give up and you're going to keep out there doing it, all of a sudden you found the one thing and somebody was like, well, they start asking you questions back and then bing, bing, here you go. I, I think that's the coolest thing. Like 99% of the people would have given up years before this because they're being told no, they don't know what they're trying to accomplish. They don't, they didn't believe in themselves. And so for you, I just think, you know, whatever that thing is that made you believe in yourself that you had something, even though you doubted it, right? But you kept going, you kept going, you didn't give up, you didn't quit. That entrepreneurs, please, if you're listening to this, don't don't ever give up. Keep trying to find that thing because it's out there. And speaking of giving up, um, you know, we talk a lot about peaks and valleys. And, you know, we think you learn a lot in the valley to be able to get you to your next peak. And especially entrepreneurs, right? You kind of you kind of ride that. What do you think was a pivotal valley in your journey that really sets you up for one of your greatest peaks? I remember years ago that my business had reached a certain level of success that required a tremendous amount of time on my part to actually like, it was so much time. It was like time for money. And, and I remember listening to somebody who was talking about how she'd built this like multi eight figure business and how she did it. And I was really surprised because the idea of trying to work any harder felt like I couldn't, like I was at capacity, that I couldn't work any more hours, I couldn't do any more things. And again, a mentor kind of showed up in my life and she was like, why do you think you need to, you need to be the one that has to work so hard? What if you figured out a way to still deliver the things that you want to deliver that doesn't require any more time? And so that was a time where I had to take a real step back and start paring down my offers and what I was what I was willing to do with clients and for what amount of money. And what I found was I I built this group coaching program called the Sales Maven Society. And instead of doing these one-on-one type work or or offering classes, um, this this particular class that I had taught for years, I realized I could take all that content, I could put it behind a paid wall, I could have this group coaching program, people could access the content, I didn't need to keep teaching it live, and it would allow for me to free up time in my business so that I could like really breathe. And that was a turning point. I went, you know, from like barely making six figures to then skyrocketing into multi six figures and working a lot less. So that was a turning point of feeling like, I don't think I can ever build a seven figure six, you know, multi six figure business even at that point, because I just can't work anymore. I I can't, I, there's no, I got nothing more to give. But once I figured out that, oh, I could pare down these offers and I, I, I also figured out that I, I wanted my offers to feed my other things. So if I was going to have the group coaching program, it needed to feed the private coaching and the private coaching should feed the group coaching program. And so that was a, that was a big di- like change, honestly, in my business, because I, I realized that it didn't have to be a one and done client. These clients could stay around. They could still get value. They could still get support from me, but there, there was a different way to do it. So Jill, did you give our our list of questions prior? Because like, this is and all the ones we've done, it's just like, it's like, uh, you know, it's it can't get any easier. They're throwing softballs here, and oh, am I? Okay, yeah, good. and the reason why that because what you kind of just segued into your your valley that created this is that when you made the decision from doing business to building a business, and as an entrepreneur, your dad and grandpa were doing business and they were mm-hmm. at capacity they couldn't work anymore they just the sales weren't there but they couldn't do any more time you reach that point and you're like well i can't sustain this and then you had the kahunas to say hey i'm going to now build a business and you change the whole thing and then look what happened and most entrepreneurs they don't know where they're at in their journey where they recognize that doing business is is okay people like that and it works for a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs but for some of us, it doesn't work that way. You you have to build something bigger than just yourself, and you recognize that in your valley. 
How crazy is that? And it wasn't at the peak. It was at the valley. Hmm. And, and so once you started building your business, as Glenn would say, and uh, you were in this, at what point in, in your journey did you say, I need a team? I need mm. people around, you know, not necessarily a business coach, but I need, you know, people around me to help me make this what I want it to be. Well, I knew uh, pretty early on that I um, that I needed somebody that could take some of the pressure off of me. And so like figuring out what that person actually was ended up becoming what I now call my online business manager. And she she can handle a lot of the tech stuff behind the scenes. And I could like I was doing it, but not doing it very well. Mm -hmm. And it was taking me a lot of time. So my thing is, you know, am I going to invest time or am I going to invest money? And I will always invest money if it will save me time and or make me money. And so I found that with her bringing her onto the team, it was, oh, she could do all this tech. She could do it a lot faster than I could. She could do it better than I could. And it would free me up to do the things that I'm really good at, which is the you know, working with the clients, delivering on the content. Um, so she was kind of that first hire. And then I, I got to a point where I remember <laughs> recognizing at one point that I was starting to miss really important opportunities in my email be because people were reaching out to me. They were asking me to speak. They were asking me to coach with them. And and I was so overwhelmed that I just couldn't even get to the, like I couldn't get to my email. This was about the time where I was starting to like, hit this valley or the yeah the valley um it, it, was, it was not a good time and so then i hired somebody to just manage my email for me which then i grew her into she she actually really grew into a bigger part of my business she became my assistant for a long time and now she helps me do client retention things and she does a lot of the work that not even work but she does the things that are not my again, it, it's just not the thing that I, it doesn't come natural to me, like saying really nice things or doing nice things for people. Like she loves, she, I would say like, she's my person who pours love on my clients and pours love on the other team members. She remembers to do those things. Like, I can't tell you what the anniversary of any of our, my team members are. I have no idea. Cause it's just not something I, it's not important to me. Like it's important. It's and I, just we not don't even, it's yeah, not it's not it's mind. not something that's like front of mind. Right. And so having somebody to do that. And so I'm at now I'm at this point where I have three team team members that work in my business every single week or ev really every day. And again, it was like finding somebody who had a skill set that yes, I could probably figure out how to learn something, but I'd rather pay somebody who's really good at it so that I could do the things that actually make money in my business, which is sell. So I, I love that answer because to sum it up, and we talk about this a lot, is when you start building a team, you have to be aware of your own strengths and weaknesses. And when you're building that team, you want to make sure that your weaknesses are never exposed and same with your teammates. And you literally lobbed another softball because so exactly what you did. Without maybe even knowing right. or understanding what you were doing, you literally created a team that can never expose your weaknesses and you can still go do your strengths. Thank you. I love that you put it that way. And you know, the, I will say as I'm building a team, more of my weaknesses continue to uh, show, right? Like they come to the surface, like leadership is not a strength for me. So I have invested a lot of money in the last two years into a leadership program to think about my team in a different way. And what do I represent as the team and what what should I be responsible for and what what should their roles be and how do I create a team where we're all working towards this common mission that it's super clear what the mission is. And I'm still, you know, I'm a work in progress, I will say, <laughs> a constant work in progress. So I love this idea of identifying. I, I don't hire people who are like me because mm -hmm. I don't need people that are really good at sales. I don't need people that are really good with the language. I need people to do the things that drive me a little bit nuts and or take me too much time. Well, that's, you know, again, this is, this is an awesome, an awesome guest here. So, you know, it, the hardest part as an entrepreneur is generally most of them, if you talk to them, they always feel like they're on this island. 
that it's all them and they have to do everything, right? And it takes a lot of, you know, I don't want to, you know, courage. It takes a lot of self-awareness to recognize that, hey, I have these weaknesses I can't do. However, even though you know you have them and you don't, you want to empower somebody else, you still, we all have control issues, right? Because nobody can do it better than we can, right? As an entrepreneur, nobody can do it. I'm the best there is. Nobody can do it better than me. We just don't have 60 hours in a day. Correct. So at some point, something has to give and you got to give up the control issues. You got to empower somebody and then, and you can't do it all. And once you recognize and it's just kind of like, Jesus, take the wheel, you're good, right? And it'll, mm-hmm. it'll work out one way or the other. And the more control and power you give somebody or responsibility and you trust them more quicker, the faster you're going to know if they're going to kind of screw you over, right? If you could just yeah. give them little pieces, you get you have to drag that along that eventually that can probably hurt you. But the second you give all that away right away, I mean, you can't be an idiot about it, right? But when you put that all out there, you're putting them in a position, they're going to have to show you what they got. And they're going to step up or they're not. But that is terrifying that somebody's in a position that they can do you harm, right? They could hurt your business, hurt your reputation, but you just have to do it. And then once you do it, you haven't looked back yet, have you? I mean, you're like, this is great. No, I mean, I'm so grateful for my team. Honestly, every day I feel like I'm, they're, they're a blessing and I love them and I want them to succeed. And I, you know, one of the things I do ask them all the time is like, what, what's the thing that you're most interested in doing in my business? What are the things that light you up? And sometimes those things aren't necessarily things I can deliver on, but a lot of times they are. They're things like, oh, you want this? You, you know, great. Let me take this off my plate. I'll give this to you. You go run with this. Let's see what you're capable of. And there have been times where there's, you know, had to be some course corrections for sure. And I haven't always hired, you know, the right people. These last few years, I've, I've got a very strong team um, and, you know, and I'm grateful for them, but it is, you know, it's a work in progress. I tend to always err on the side of trust and believe that people's intentions are true and, you know, if you prove me wrong, I'll certainly step in to that and, you know, and, and course correct. But I always want to assume that people's intentions are true, that they have their best interests at heart. And as long as I'm caring for their best interests, they will then reciprocate. If you, um, you know, I just got to, I can't believe how fast this is going, but I got, I've got one more and then I think Julie's got one more question, okay. but is there out there, you've, you've met a gajillion people you've been in the great Northwest, you're in the, the great state of Idaho, you met people all over the place. Who would be your dream client that you would see on the radio, TV, a podcast in person go, man, if I could just get that person as a client, I could rock their world. Do you have anybody that mm. you would just love to get in front of and, and be engaged by them to help them be somebody they didn't know they could achieve, but you see it, right? Cause you can, you see those tendencies, right? Like, what did you call those in your second book? What's that called? The buying signals. Yes. So they have them. They just don't know how to, ha- how to capture them. I mean, you can see it. Who would be that client that you're like, man, if I could just get in front of that person. Glenn's going to be so disappointed when you and don't you, name him. You can't say me, unfortunately, because okay, I know Glenn, you want to. Well, I know it. you've been stalking me okay. and I know you want to, but who would that be? All right. You know, I think my my bigger answer is it's the clients of certain people who I see out there that I think these, that certain people are doing things really, really well, but the piece that they're still missing is the sales conversation. Because I think a lot of times business coaches think because they're a business coach, they're going to be a great sales coach. I don't agree. Hmm. And I think a lot of marketing people think they're really good at marketing. And so therefore that means they're good at sales and I don't agree. So, you know, just being really candid, like Amy Porterfield, I think she's amazing at what she does. And I would, I, I actually have worked with a lot of people who've worked with her, but her clients, um, I think are primed with all the amazing, great things that she teach. I think that she teaches, I think her clients are primed for what I teach and would take them to a whole nother level. I love that answer. Um, so one last question for you, what is your end game? Well, I think my end game in the biggest picture is to be able to either license or sell my business, license my content and or sell my business. 
so that the content will live on and that it will at some point, you know, transition and allow for me to transition in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. So at some point I would, I would like to have built a business that's sellable. Well, then what are you going to do after you sell it? Uh, I'd like you to, can't sit uh, still. That's not going to happen. No, I, I have this big, you know, my ultimate big um, goal is from a charitable component. Like I really would like to be able to gift $5,000 a month um, away. I would like to be able to give that away every month to different organizations that I believe in are making an impact in the world. And we need people who are willing to make an impact. And I think money helps make that move. And I would, I would like to gift $5,000 a month. <laughs> That's my big goal. I love that. And I mean, you essentially answered it with another softball. So we do yes. appreciate that. Oh, okay. There, there is no end game. You really don't. You want your business, your content, you want your impact to forever live on. And then, you know, you took it to even a bigger bigger picture by saying, you know, you want to make that impact and you want to double down on it. And you want to make sure that whomever it is that you believe in whatever they're doing and you want to make sure that that impact lives on. It's bigger than you. It, what you are going to you know too much, you can help so many people. Your business that's a thing, but the other thing is going to help even more people. So you're never you're not going to just stop and not go help people. I guess is the is the point we're making. It just it can't happen. You're not programmed that way. No, I mean I have always said, which this sounds a little bit like my ego getting in the way, but I've always said I would like to do something that makes a big enough impact that somebody would like to name a school after me. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is. A great, uh, another great guest as always. And, uh, you know, we'd like to give you a, a moment, Nikki, if you want to do a, a plug of how people can get a hold of you, uh, that would be helpful. And maybe somebody out there, you, you speak in their language and they want to reach out and, and have them, have you help them make an impact in their lives. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for all the questions. This was a very fun interview for me. And for your audience, if you are looking for some support in sales, getting more comfortable with your sales conversations, I'd like to wrap it around a gift for your audience if I can. There'll be a training. This will be my gift to your audience. They can go grab this for free. You can get it by going to yoursalesmaven.com forward slash EE. So this is for your the Empowering Entrepreneur podcast. Thank you so much for having me here as your guest. And Nikki, cool. we'll make sure we'll put that um, so that the viewers can see it in the show notes. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Nikki. Appreciate you being on and wish you great success. And, uh, you know, try to stay out of Washington too much. You know, they got great coffee over there, but, you know, Idaho's got to have a cl cleaner air, so you're probably okay. That's true. This was a That's great true. interview. Thank you, Nikki. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.